0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right, good to see you this morning. How's everybody today? All right, all right, that's a few of you. I'll go with that. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to have a good time in Jesus' name. Welcome to the church. And uh, we're part of a, you're a part of a church that's growing Uh, dramatically and and in today's church culture it's kind of a an anomaly a a phenom and so we give all the praise and the glory to God for doing such a beautiful thing in the life of the church and as we grow it's important that we grow together and not apart and we grow together by knowing each other and so over the last couple weeks we've practiced the exercise of introducing ourselves without uh without awkwardness just hey you know, and have fun with that. I want you to know, most of the people in here, most of you are new, new meaning less than five years as part of this church. And so if you just put a confident smile on your face, you can walk up to anybody. Hey, how you doing? Are you new? You know, and well, no, I've been here five years. How about you? It's second Sunday. You know, they don't know the difference. We all, we all kind of look new. And so welcome to the crowd. Now, as we grow together by knowing each other, it's also important that we grow together in knowing what we believe. Who we are, what we stand for, what the what our core values are, um, the positions we take on certain things theologically and doctrinally, the structure of the organization of the church—it's really important. And so, typically, as you know, if you've been here, I'm an expositional preacher, meaning I preach through books of the Bible. I prefer that; it keeps me safe. But this is a topical series, meaning the topic uh, we just put, we t- preach on a topic and we find scripture f- to find support. And, and so, the topic is the church, and it's not just any church it is the church at Sturkey Hills. Uh, The last two weeks uh, we talked about the church and if you weren't here you can find that on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and I would encourage you to look at that because it'll help us help you understand more about who the church is supposed to be, how long we've been here and how long we're going to be here, what happens next and your part in this season between Jesus's ascension back to heaven after his first coming and his return at his second coming, what we're supposed to be about. So that's what we're gonna talk about. And so, uh, the, one of the things that I want you to know today as an announcement is, is God's growing our church. And just a few weeks ago, we had backpack blessings. And you saw about 100 little boys and girls up here, and we blessed their backpacks. It's beautiful. That's our future. And so we want to meet our church where it is, and we're going to provide for them. And so we want to do a thing for our future, for our boys and girls. We're going to do a midweek children's program. And in your life guide, it says September 14th. That's wrong. That's my fault. It is October 5th, and so on October 5th, on Wednesday night, we'll have a a midweek kids program, and and I want you to sign your children and your grandchildren up, but I want you to sign up to help serve, and you can do that on your Church Center app, or you can go by the Connection Center when you leave today and just register your kids. It's for uh, ages five through fifth grade, and if you work, uh, smaller children, two through four, can come, and we'll provide for them. So if you think that's awesome, say, that's awesome. All right, I'll be looking for your name, signing up. That's cool. Now, DNA is the series. And you should have received last week, and maybe if you didn't, if you, did, if you grabbed one this week. If not, you can grab one going out. This, this uh, guide, a DNA Who We Are guide, is written to help you know who we are. And so we, we want to be transparent. We want you to know the answers to the question before you ask the question. Okay, we want you to know the answer to the question before a friend of yours or a family member asks you a question. We want you to know who we are, what we stand for, how, we, how we're organized, everything about us. We have nothing to have. There's no, there's no secrets. There's no secret society. There's no agenda. It is, we just want to be a biblical church that honors and lifts up Jesus and leads uh, people to him and rescues people from darkness into light. That's what we're about. And, and so this will help you. If you want to tell your friends about it and they ask you a question, if you read this or if you come to this series, you'll know the answer to most of their questions. And so we're going to dive in that again today. It's called DNA, It's Who We Are. And so if this is, if this is your first time, I want you to know that you have visited... An amazing church. And it's not amazing because it has a great pastor. I mean, it does. But it's not, it's not amazing because of that. It, it, it's not amazing because we have great worship. And uh, Willow, by the way, beautiful job on that song. Uh, and I know it, it, it's not because of her. Okay, she's awesome. It's not because of her. It's not because we have uh, a, a friendly group of people. We do. It's because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And for whatever reason, he has selected, elected, and chosen to do it. For now, right here at the church at Sturkey Hills at 904 Dry Gap Pike. I'm humbled and amazed by that. And so I want you to know that's what you have joined today uh, to be a part of. And it's an amazing thing. And and so in in this series, we're talking about who we are. And we've already unpacked a few ideas. Uh, We've covered our vision statement, our missions, objectives, which are knowing, growing, and going. What we do to help us accomplish our vision statement We've uncovered our, our theme passages of church, 1 Corinthians 9, 2, that I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. That's what we're here for, is to be encouraged and edified, and then to go out and rescue people uh, from, from a hell-bound nature to a heaven-bound destiny. And, and so DNA talks about. DNA by nature is a molecule that contains all of the information for an organism to not just survive, but to thrive and to reproduce. And the church is not an organization, it's an organism. It is a living thing. And the leader of it has divinity. So in its nature, in its DNA is written eternal life. I want you to know that. The church is not some club, country club meeting coming together once a week. It, is, it has eternity written in its DNA. That's really really kind of amazing to think that we're a part of something so vast, so big, so godly, and so full of the glory of God. And so last week, we kind of got to the place where we answered, who is the church? <clears throat> when did it begin? How long will it be around? And then four keys to effective operation in the church. And we saw the first three. We kind of unpack those pretty well, that a church needs to have purpose, a church needs to be organized, and a church needs to be Bible-based. And, and, and if we continue to do that, if any church con- to continues to do that, it's headed in the right direction. But I want you to, to know what w- will not happen um, without leadership, and that's the fourth key. There must be God-called, God-gifted leadership for the church to thrive and to move forward into enemy camp like we're called to do so the fourth point is leadership. On the back of your life guide, leadership has been around as long as mankind has been around. Godly leadership has been a part of every season in God's eternal, infallible word. Um, If you read the Bible in the Old Testament, you read about people like Noah, spent 100 years building a boat with his boys in a world that hated God, leadership. You keep reading, you, you read about people like Abraham. Abraham just called out, he's a farmer, a shepherd, called out to be the father of a nation. He, he, he's the leader of a, of a nation that would ultimately ultimately lead to a way for God to wrap himself in flesh and come to this earth. And we keep reading. We read about Joseph. Joseph hated by his brothers because of jealousy, cast uh, into slavery, uh, cast into Egypt, ended up being in prison, And be, but because he had leadership capabilities and he was focused on God, he Uh, became a leader that would lead a nation and provide a place for Israel to find refuge in a famine. You keep reading, you read about Daniel, you read about David, you're in the New Testament, Peter and Paul and, and John, and ultimately, of course, Jesus, the greatest leader who ever lived. And so leadership is a part of God's kingdom agenda. And I want you to know, in any given church, There's a membership or a partnership of the church, and among the partnership or the membership, God raises up leaders. That's what it looks like. And in the Bible, there's only really one biblically described, mandated leadership position in the church, and it's called pastor. But the same word can be considered elder. It can be considered a bishop. It can be considered a shepherd. And it can be considered just plain leader. Those are the biblical terms, and it all refers to the same position. Now, what we've done is we've separated those in the church sometimes. And we're like, well, the bishop, he's over the elders. And the elders, they're over the pastor. And the pastor's over the shepherd. And that's fine. Because here's the deal. God, in his infinite word, has inspired the the Bible for us. And, And although it tells us everything we need to know to know God, to understand ourselves, to understand how we can have a relationship with God. It tells us all we need to know, but it doesn't tell us everything there is to know because quite honestly, there's just not that much paper and you wouldn't read it if you had it. And so he tells us what we need to know. Even in the organization of the church, God tells us what we need to know, but he leaves some ambiguity, or some room to flex and stretch and move. Now, we have to be very careful when we manipulate or massage or, or add to what God's instructions are. We have to be careful that we don't change the intention of the Scripture. And so we're going to talk about that today and in the coming weeks. Um, so, so who are the leaders? Well, I've told you what their title is, but I want you to know sometimes people think, The pastor is the leader, and he makes all the decisions, okay? Sometimes we're accused of making all the decisions. We don't make all the decisions. We don't. And if you say that, you're not telling the truth. In fact, even though Scripture gives us a guideline or a mandate for a pastor, elder, bishop, shepherd, leader, me, he also allows leadership in the body. So in this particular church, We have leaders who are servant leaders. That would be deacons. We have leaders who are right now leading our preschool and our children's department. We have worship leaders who led us just a few minutes ago. We have connection center leaders who welcome people and get their information. We have greeters who lead in welcoming people uh, as they show up. To church on Sunday morning we have leaders who look after our student ministry we have leaders who look after college ministry we have leaders who look after our senior adults we have leaders who look after our groups now listen they all make decisions they all make decisions that I have nothing to do with but I want you to, to understand even when they make decisions they make decisions based on direction of the Holy Spirit a prayerful consideration of all things what scriptural mandates are and at the same time they make decisions based on the constituents or the people group that they're responsible for and most of them have a budget a financial budget and their decisions kind of are in a line with their budget It's amazing when we do things like God wants us to do with structure and organization, how smoothly things can run, how efficiently and effective they can be, and how the church can continue to grow without a lot of the headaches and the trouble that a lot of churches have. So back to the pastor then. If they're making all the decisions, what do I even do? Preach. Okay, that's, you know what I'm supposed to do? Pray and preach. That's pretty much what I'm supposed to do. We'll see that eh, probably next week. I'm supposed to preach and pray. That's my fi- primary responsibility and also to help you do what you're supposed to do. And we'll see that today. And, and so, so I have a responsibility and our lead, other leaders have responsibilities and God is over it all. So to understand more about the spot of pastor, I want you to know there's three pastors, three elders, three bishops, three shepherds, three leaders on staff at your church. The first one would be me. I'm senior pastor, not because I'm oldest, I am close, okay, but because I, that's the position I have. I'm kind of over the other pastors. We work side by side. The next one would be, the other, one of the other two would be Dr. Tim Stallings, and uh, he's over our, he's our executive pastor and counseling pastor, and then we have, uh, Clark Step right here, who is our student pastor, and also he is our missions pastor. We're elders. We're bishops. We're shepherds. We're leaders. That's who we are, and so we have a particular responsibility. We're gonna um, we're gonna discover, and I want you, I really do want you to lean in so you can learn how this thing works because it's really cool and it's beautiful and it's fun and it's interesting to some. <laughs> so, so listen, some people could care less. I like that church. They play the songs I like. That preacher, sometimes he's funny. The the seat's comfortable. The air condition works. I don't care what they believe. I hadn't heard him say anything that sounded crazy. We're going there. And that's cool, all right? But for some of us, we want to know a little more. And I want you to know more because we want to be transparent because we're not hiding anything. So first, let me unpack two misconceptions about the pastor. Two misconceptions. The first one is the pastor Is the head of the church. Sometimes we have people come up here, usually benevolence. You know, they need gas to get to Oklahoma, or they need some money for an alternator, and they already know exactly how much it is. It's $84.16, and they've already raised $38. You know, that's the kind of people we get sometimes. But when they show up, you know who they want to talk to? The president. The president. That would be me. I'm the El Presidente, okay? but I'm not the head of the church some people say yeah the pastor's the head of the church the pastor this church is pastor led it is not pastor head that spot was occupied for has been occupied for 2,000 years it is not appointed it is not elected it is fixed in time Jesus Christ is the head of the church remember the church is the body the church is the bride and Jesus is the head Ephesians 5:23 says Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Done. Check the box. All right? Also, in Colossians 1:18 it says Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that that in everything he might be preeminent. Everybody say Jesus is the head. So there's one misconception that I wanted to point out. Now, the pastor is still called to lead. So how does that work? If, 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 if Jesus is the head of the church and then you have this body coming down from him, well, the, the leaders, the pastors, get their marching orders from the head from Jesus how how do I know what to do how do I know what to preach on how do I know what to say how do I know what ministries that I need to encourage people to launch how do I know how to support a particular thing how do I know uh uh uh, where we should be in the missions field how do I know where how we should be evangelistically listen we get our marching orders I get our marching orders from Jesus and the only way I get them from him is if I am intimately and diligently in the word of God I have to be in the Word of, of God. Any pastor does. Tim does. Clark does. Any pastor. Of any, and if they're not, they don't need to be leading the church. And number two, the pastor should rely on the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us directions. We pray and he just tells us. Now sometimes it's just like you. Sometimes it's difficult to discern. Other times it's like, like this children's program. It's been on my heart for eight years that I've been over here. And we tried it. Danielle, Karen, different ones tried it. And it just it just wouldn't get any traction now's the time it'll get traction it's going to take off I know it why because I feel the Holy Spirit convicting me of that reality that's why we're pressing it next through diligent prayer I need to be a prayer warrior all of our pastors do God we have need to have an intimate walk with God through prayer and then lastly some of the things that we do as a church. And we know to do as leadership in the church is based on the tradition in the church that's been going on for two thousand years. Two thousand years ago, the church was birthed. We talked about that last week when the Holy Spirit at Pentecost birthed the church. And we read in the book of Acts, the actions of the apostles, that how the church, what the church did, they came together to listen to the teaching of the apostles. They ate together. They took communion together. They fellowshiped together. That's what we do. That, and we still do that. It, the template, the skeleton is still the same. So, misconception number one is the pastor is not, a misconception, the pastor is the head of the church. That's not true. That's Jesus. The second misconception is kind of a funny one, and you'll, you, you'll wonder if it even exists. It's this. Are you ready? The pastor is the priest. And you say, Who thinks the pastor is the priest? Okay, this scripture was long, this, this sermon was long written. Friday night, uh, Kendra and I went with Clark and Kelsey and some of their leaders and students, and we went to the Anderson County Powell High School game, and we tailgated up there. We set up a canopy. I grilled hot dogs. We gave away free hot dogs, free drinks, and free candy to whoever would come, and the kids registered students to co- to, for door prizes. It was really cool. We had a good time. We represented. It was fun. I had a good time. And so I'm, I'm, I've got all the hot dogs cooked, and they're giving them out, and I see these two students coming they're coming down the flank. They're flanking me over here. I ain't letting them by. I said, hey, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here. They came over. I said, hey, can I give you a free hot dog and a free drink? Because when you go inside the gate, the prices go way up, okay? So they said, uh, how much is hot dog? That's what he said. And I said, hot dog is free. <laughs> and he said, why hot dog free? And I said, "They were foreign exchange students. And I picked up on it real quick like that. And so, I said, "I said I'm a pastor at the church at Sturkey Hills, and we're just up here because we've got students, families, and staff at both schools, and we just want to show some love and have a good time. So we're tailgating. No lie, this is what it is. Oh, you pastor? I'm the priest too. I was at the crossroads. I'm holding a hot dog in my hand. I didn't know if I was supposed to eat pluribus unum, my son." You know, e pluribus, that's, I don't even know what that, that's a Latin phrase. I don't even know what it, it means one out of many or something. I, I didn't even know, but I felt, what am I the priest now? I didn't know what to do. So I, so I told him, and, and then he said, and then he said, this is very nice, okay? Now, I, I, share, I share that silly story because some people are so confused. And by the way, I'm not making fun of this, by the way. But Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I ain't making fun of that, okay? I'm going to heaven because of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, just so you know. In fact, I kind of like that. Okay, it's, it's a cool symbol of, of who, what we believe in. But the point is, I'm not a priest. Now, what's going to alarm you, startle you, confuse you if you're not careful, is just who is the priest. You see in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the high priest of heaven. You see, the priest is a representative, an ambassador, a corridor, if you will, between man and God. And, and, and Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament requirements to be high priest. He is the forever high priest. He's not only the head, he's the high priest. And so the pastor is not the priest. You don't go through me to get to God. You don't go through Mother Mary to get to God. You go through Jesus, your high priest in heaven, to get to God just like I do. We're all on the same page. Now, so Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the head. We settled it. (laughs) We kind of did. There's much more. There's more priests than Jesus. Now, Jesus is the high priest, but there's other priests. Okay? You want to know who they are? Okay, look to your left. Now, look to your right. Look at me now. If they're saved, they're a priest. And I know what you're thinking. I ain't seeing it. I know them. I'm not feeling the priestly. Okay, it's just not happening. You and I, as children of God, are priests of Jesus Christ. We are the ambassadors. We are the representatives. We're not the corridor but we have the message that points to the corridor to heaven, which is Jesus. You say, well, that's a stretch, isn't it? It's a stretch if it's not in the Bible. But what if it's in the Bible? What if I just said it's abs- absolutely, emphatically, scripturally true? Would you believe it? You would. You'd have to. And that's what I'm going to do. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, listen to what it says. You, tell the person next to you, he's talking to you. Scott, you ain't got nobody next to you. I'm talking to you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is so cool. Okay, you are a priesthood of believers. That's what we are. We're priests, okay? And as priests, we have a purpose. We have a calling. We have a ministry and a mandate. And you know what it is? Here it is, to declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is is not rocket science, okay? When you get saved, immediately, you can go get your little white collar if you want to, if it makes you feel more priestly. Okay, you're a priest. It means you are henceforth from that moment forward, you are supposed to go into a dark world that you used to be a part of, every single one of us, because we're born in sin, and share the good news, the light of the gospel of Jesus, that same gospel that rescued you from darkness and placed you into the light of the glory of grace, that same truth that saved you, you're supposed to go into the world and share it. You're a priest. Okay, not convinced. Revelation chapter one, verse five. He loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So in fairness, we haven't done a good job. We preachers, pastors, teachers, we haven't done a good job with this. Somehow, we've conveyed the information that being a Christian means praise the Lord. I got my get out of hell free card. One day I'm going to heaven when I die. I can live like I want to now because I got it all taken care of. And that's not totally wrong, but in between the moment that you're born again and the moment that you enter into heaven, you're a priest. You got work to do, there's a calling on your life. Just like a priest, you're supposed to be sanctified or set apart for God's use in his kingdom agenda. And, and, it, and it's amazing that God would do that. I know some of y'all, you know me. Why would God do that? Because that's God. Because he's a God of grace and mercy and love. And we've convinced the church, the body, the membership, the partnership, the people, that if I'm saved, it means on Sunday morning, somewhat regularly, I should attend a church service. And I should probably sing a little bit while they're singing. And I should listen a little bit to the preacher I don't have to take notes, but I need to listen a little bit. And every now and then I ought to give a little money. And then I can leave church on Sunday and live just like I did last week and the week before and the week before and come back next Sunday and check a box. Listen to me. That's a misconception. That's a lie. It's simply not true. You're a priest set apart by God, radically saved from your sinful condition, and you are supposed to be the ambassador of Jesus, which is everybody's access to God. you got a calling on your life. And to not do it is disobedient. Now, you really didn't want to hear that. You'd rather, man, just let me come to church and sit. Had a busy week. I don't want that. I got enough responsibility. I got a full plate. I just want to come and sit and maybe soak it up and then don't do anything with it and just let it sour. That's what I want. I'm not here for that. That's not what God called me to do. You, maybe you can go to Beaver Dam or somewhere. I, I, I don't know how he preaches. Find your church where they'll do that. But that's not what God's calling is on your life. And so we need to understand our place. What is my job then? I thought your job, preacher, was to do all the light, sharing. Well, I'm a priest too. Okay, just like you. I'm saved The priesthood of believers, we're together here in this thing, and I'm supposed to be about it too, but you want to know what my primary job is? It is to pray and to preach. Why? Because if I pray hard and preach well, it equips you to be better priest in the world. You say, well, Brother Brother Joel, Pastor Joel, we're paying you. Yes, you do, and I thank you for it. But if you don't pay me, God will pay me somewhere else. So that doesn't matter. What is my job? To equip you to build up the church. Listen to scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. Watch this. And some as pastors and teachers. Why? He's going to tell us. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ did you get that my primary responsibility is to empower and to equip and to train and to encourage and to motivate you to build up the body of Christ and how do I know that I can still do that and be fair with y'all everybody look around see any empty seats you ain't doing very good you hadn't filled them up yet the early service there I man they're bad I had an early service. The early service, I told them, I said, the early service, I can preach harder to because uh, they're not awake yet. They don't even hear what I say. <laughs> Second service, got to be careful because y'all start getting hungry and you get hangry. And I'm asking you to do something based on Scripture. Y'all don't, y'all don't like it, okay? So there's empty seats. And, and when these seats are full, guess what? Our work is not done because we are not called and commissioned and... Uh, And mandated to be priest, rescuing the world from darkness just to fill up this building. We're trying to fill heaven. We're trying to rob hell of its occupants for eternity. That's the calling. When you look at it that way, it's pretty cool. It's bigger than anything in your life. To rescue somebody eternally from death unto life, it's the biggest, most glorious, most magnificent thing you can ever do in your life. And so that's what we're called to do, and that's what I'm called to do. Now, he says, in the scripture, he says, my job is to, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does that even mean? Well, the word work in there is the word, if you're in the business world, you may have heard the word ergonomics. It means how you perform something, how you do it safely, how you do it efficiently. It is about working energy applied to something to uh, generate or manufacture a result and and so he says listen he says we're talking about work just oh hard ergon. that's the word we're talking about you have i have to equip you to work now what is the work the work is the work of the ministry so so what is all of you did you know all of you are ministers sometimes i'll do a wedding or a funeral i'll walk up and i'm carrying my ipad or my bible or whatever they say are you the minister I said, no, I'm the priest. You know. I say, yeah, I'm the minister. Well, you're ministers too. Everybody, if you're saved, you're supposed to be a minister, okay? I'm to equip you for the work of the ministry. A minister is not an occupation or a title. Ministry is an action of obedience. All right? In the Greek, the word is diakonia. It's the work of service to wait on others to attend to the needs of others, to func- it is the function of the church body, it is to convey the revelation of God. In other words, when we are doing what we should do in serving others, in doing the work of the ministry, it paints a picture, it's a revelation of the love and the care and the provision of God in the world. And that's your calling. You see, if you are saved, Serving is not an option, and the church hadn't done good with this, okay? So I'm just gonna have to break the ice and jump in with both feet. If you are saved and you have not found a place to serve in the church, you are walking in disobedience. You need to be serving in the church. If it's not this church, another church, you should be serving. You're saved to serve. Jesus can't save you, and the Holy Spirit live in you, and you not serve God. It's, it's, it's just the way it works. And so I want to encourage you to find your place to serve. And so there you go. The, the pastor's not the head, and the pastor is not the solo priest. So how does this thing work? Who makes all the decisions? If, if the pastor's not the head and there's all these other leaders, how does this thing even work? It works because God ordained it. And everything God ordained, when we do it like he says, it works beautifully. So watch this. Where's the power come in? Who's in charge? That's a good question. You know, sometimes people get their underwear bunched up and they'll, they'll say, well, down there at the church, the preacher makes all the decisions. We don't get to vote on anything, okay? Well, quite honestly, if you're doing the will of God and you're serving well, you ain't got time to be voting on a whole lot of stuff. If the Holy Spirit tells you what to do and you do it, you don't need to vote, okay? You just do it, all right? You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Well, fine, pray about it. I want you to know the church at Sturkey Hills puts the power under Jesus' head in the hands of the body, the ecclesia, the bride, the membership, the partnership in your hands. How do we do that? We, we believe that the church has the freedom and the power to call elders or pastors. Now watch this, in, in the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 15, verse 22, it says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the, and the elders with the whole church to choose men and to send them to Antioch, to choose elders to send to Antioch. In Titus chapter 1, 5, it says, this is why I, Paul, left you in Crete that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town just as I has, had directed you. So we believe the church has the ability to, to choose the pastor. So much so, listen, if, if this week, Scott, this week, so today, you're going to get toe up about me, okay? He's going to set easy. You're hangry, okay? You skipped your oatmeal bar this morning, and I'm preaching, and you're mad. And so you start a little coup, a little uprising. And, and, and you just go around and say, hey, you know, Pastor Joel, I just think he's losing it. I don't think what he's teaching is biblical. And uh, I, think, I, think he, I don't think he's the right leader for the church, okay? And you go to Adam, and Adam would join you because I threw him under the bus last week, made him poster child. And so you get him, and you get a group. And next thing you know, you've got the masses. Now, you still have to sell the early service, and you don't much know them, okay? So you have to wake them up, and then you have to sell them. So let's say you do that. And all of a sudden, you've got a majority of the people that want a different pastor, you can let me go. You hold the power to let me go. Now, let me just be real honest. If you do, we're not friends anymore. Okay? I'll wave at you. I've got to love you. Scripture says, I love you to distance. Okay? I'll wave at you. We're going to, we ain't going to be friends. Okay? So, but you have the power to do that. How do you know you have the power? It's in writing. Where's it in writing? We have what's called church bylaws. Church bylaws. Listen to this. Page seven, if you ever need to know, if you are the leader of the coup okay now just so you know I got other coup people that like me a lot and my coup people gonna fight your coup people in Jesus name okay I don't even know what that I don't even know where that came from I don't even know if there's a such a thing as coup people but now we have them so on page seven of the bylaws 5a if you need to look for it it says every partner shall have the right to vote on seven things this is your power the calling or removing of the senior pastor. That's number. Now, Imogene, if they do that, you're with me, right? You're still with me, me and you. So me and you'll fight them if we have to fight all by ourselves, okay? They can, you can do that. The power's in your hands. I know you don't want to do that. I, I kid about that. I'm in a great place, y'all are in a great place. God's on his throne. It's, it's beautiful, okay? It's, it's a beautiful place. Uh, but, but you can do that. Number two, you get to vote on amending the Articles of Incorporation. Those are legal legal matters you vote on. Number three, adopting, amending, or repealing the bylaws. If you want to change the business structure of the church, you vote on it. Number four, disposing of all or substantially all of the church assets. You vote on that. Adopting or amending a merger agreement. Church votes on it. Approve with, uh, the acquisition of real property and related indebtedness. We want to borrow money or buy something, church votes on it. And uh, number seven, Approving the election to dissolve the church, you would vote on that. So the church voted on me about eight years ago, in 2014. The church voted on me to be the senior pastor at this church when most of y'all weren't here, okay? It's what we do. It hasn't changed, okay? Now, what about the position of the pastor? If the body holds the power to get rid of the leader, and the whole thing is under Jesus as the head. What's, what do I do? Well, we're gonna learn what I do. It's, it's the only biblical, biblically described leadership position in the church. Now there's a deacon position, it's, it's a servant. We'll talk about that. I don't think we're gonna get to it today. So so the leader's to be gifted, he's to lead the body well, and God calls the leader out of membership out of the body he doesn't call a lost person to lead the church he's not going to call a new uh, a new believer to lead the church and we're going to see that Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 identifies the reality that the church does have leaders it's supposed to have leaders it can't just be all led it has to have somebody responsible now with this comes a lot of responsibility I told you earlier about all the leaders in the church I told you that, that the body has power over the hiring and firing of the pastor, but I also want you to know that at the end of the day, the pastor is, is responsible before God of the decisions, all of them that are made in the church. I mean, it's a lofty thing. I'm okay with it. I love it. I love the leaders. I love our church. So, so here's the thing. There are leaders. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13. Says, Remember your leaders, so there they are, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. No, that's pretty heavy stuff. It's kind of cool. Some days, I'm, I welcome you to imitate me. Some moments, I'd rather you imitate Clark, okay? Hebrews 13, 17, a few verses later says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. Did you hear? And we're, we have a huge responsibility as shepherd, elder, bishop, pastor, leader, Acts chapter 20 verse 28, take heed to yourselves, this is to me, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God. It's a big deal to be the leader in the church, a lot of responsibility. So so the congregation has the power to keep or not keep the pastor. The pastor has responsibility to lead and care for the flock or for the church that he has been given. And why should this work? This, orga- this organism, this living organism called the ecclesia of the church where Jesus is the head and the body has power and the leader is responsible, how does it work? It's a balance ordained by God you can't do you can't do this in a business you can't let the employees decide if the owner is going to be in or out because as soon as he cuts your insurance benefits they're all voting and you're gone and now you got a business with no leader okay but in the church it's different it's a balance and so leadership that inspires models, mobilizes, teaches, persuades, and points the way in ministry and mission, along with a corporate authority of the congregation that puts doctrinal and moral boundaries around the leadership and holds it accountable to serve the good of the church, are not only compatible but beneficial to each other. Listen, I love me some church at Sturkey Hills. I love you. you. You don't even have to like me. You don't have to give. You don't have to t- attend faithfully. I, I love you. God put that in me. and I can't run from it. And I, I honestly believe most of y'all love me too. It's, it's amazing what a church looks like when we at least try to do things God's way. It's supernatural. And there's a lot of churches where it doesn't feel like this. I know a lot of preachers who pray that the Lord would send them to another church. I really do. And I know congregations that wish the Lord would send their preacher to another church. Okay? I'm where I'm supposed to be. And you probably are too. And when we find that place, the church becomes beautiful. And that's what we're part of. Now, let's talk about the next part of the pastor-elder Bishop, leader, whatever you overseer position in the early church, they have always been there and they have pretty much always been a plurality. In other words, seldom do you see the word elder, you see the word elders, there's more than one. So that now it's not one person flying solo, it's a group of called people working harmoniously together leading the church in Acts chapter 20 it says from Miletus Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church plural James 5 14 is anyone among you let him call the elders of the church they're they're plural and and so so what is my job And, and as I do this you can ask a question yeah is he really that does he fit the criteria if not let's have a conversation and let me, just let me just encourage you. The reason we're trying to be transparent and help you know who we are as a church and who we are as pastors is because we want you to know the answers to the question. And if you've got a question, come and ask us, okay? Don't start a thing, you know, don't go talk to somebody else until you're informed. Sometimes people hear something and then here they go over here and they, they scatter some seeds of dissension and then they go over here and they broadcast some over here and the whole time it's built on a lie it's just not factual it's not true don't do that from God's word don't do that don't 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 cause a problem in the church and don't don't negatively uninformed talk bad about the preacher I mean it doesn't bother me if you do but it'll bother you if you do scripture warns about it so let's just be transparent if you ever wonder about anything come and talk to us about it we don't we don't have anything to hide now so what, what am I supposed to do? First of all, first of all, on the back of your life, God, I'm supposed to be a sanctified example. A sanctified example. Now listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is the job description. This is the criteria for a pastor. This is the bill we have to fit. Okay, Clark, this is for you. Tim's for you. It's for me. And for any of you, if you ever called to be a pastor, this, this is the expectation. Are you ready? This saying is trustworthy. If someone aspires to be to the office of overseer, and the word there is episkopos. It's the same as bishop, pastor, leader, shepherd. He says he desires a good work. The overseer must then be above reproach. That just word means blameless. You know, we gotta, we can't, we, we, we've got to live a blameless life. The husband of one wife. Let me tell you what we mean by that. The Greek expression is a one woman man. In this church, we hold to a traditional view. That means this, one wife for one life. It means I've been married to Kendra for 36, 37, 37 years, and um, and if I, we got a divorce, I wouldn't be qualified to be pastor at this church, okay? Now, there's other people who interpret that differently. That just meet, They just believe it to be one woman at a time, you know, that's, and that's them. That's their decision. That's not, that's not who we are. Okay. Clark is married to Kelsey. If, if they get a divorce, he can go sell insurance or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Okay. It's just it's how we believe. I want you to know that we interpret this to mean one woman for one man for life. And, and by the way, if you've been through a divorce, you don't have a scarlet D on your, on your chest at this church. There's a lot of people who have gone through divorce. It's unfortunate. We have a, there's a re, very real devil who hates marriage, the first institution of God. And you, as, as a person who maybe has been through a divorce in your life, you can serve anywhere in the church. You can be a member of the church. You can teach classes. You can help in, in any ministry we have. You just can't be pastor. You can't be a deacon. That's, just, that's it. But you can do anything else. Let's keep going. He goes on. He says the the pastor should be temperate. The word is nephalias. It means sober-minded, clear-minded, abstaining from wine either entirely or at least from its immoderate use. uh, And uh, conforming to the position of pastor in a temperate mode. To be self-controlled. Sophron is the Greek word. Temperate, modest, chaste, without ornamentation and sexually pure. The next word for the pastor is respectable, Cosmios. This one, you, you could, you may not, I may not apply. Cosmios means to be dignified or orderly. Well, I just messed up on that but I'm working on it, okay? Because I'm not that dignified, all right? So it means the pastor should be respectable, dignified. Hospitable, kind to strangers. Able to teach, didacticos is the word. Not a drunkard, quarrelsome, insolent as a result of alcohol. Let me tell you my position on alcohol. I am a teetotaler. I don't drink anything. I avoid cough syrup that's got stuff in it, okay? In the back of your guide, it says about membership. If you want alcohol to be in your life at, at a moderate level and you don't get drunk, that is certainly your choice. I will tell you right now in front of God and everybody, I'm not a fan. I hate the stuff. I've seen what it does to families. I know what it can do in your life. So I would tell everybody, be you not drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. Live a life without that stuff. The, the, the rewards are not as great as the risk. And so avoid it. I, that's just what I tell you. However, if you choose to have alcohol in your life, I love you. I don't judge you. I don't look down at you. That's a decision you make. And just like if you don't read your Bible, if you don't pray, if you don't witness, I don't judge you for that. It's a decision that you make. But... With alcohol, you can't have a leadership position in the church because we don't want to be stumbling blocks for the weaker vessel, for those who may have a propensity uh, of, of abuse or a struggle with it. So the leaders want to be above reproach, and we raise the bar maybe higher than Scripture, okay? And, and, and I'll, I'll stand before Jesus with that one. So you can't be a pastor. We tell our pastors not to drink. We tell our deacons not to drink. We tell our group leaders not to drink. We tell our worship team not to drink, okay? Because we don't want to cause anybody to stumble. And we all know people who have stumbled with it. So that's our position. We don't hide from that, okay? Now, he says not only that, he says, uh, I like this one. He says, uh, oh, not this one, I'm sorry. He says, not violent, but gentle, not contentious. The Greek word is amachos. You know what that means? Not a macho man. You know, the preacher. If you want some of this? Bring it on, okay? Now, I've actually known preachers that, were, that would bow up like that. I mean, I'll meet you in the parking lot. <laughs> Well, that's fine, but you don't need to be the preacher anymore after that event, okay? So not uh, contentious, free from the love of money, meaning not covetous, or, but generous. And then he says he must manage, now listen to this one, this is funny, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop one on Clark right here. He says he must manage his own household well and keep his children in control without losing his dignity. But if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? Let me tell you what that does not mean. A pastor should have perfect children you know why it doesn't mean that because you ain't got them either how are you going to help hold us accountable to perfect children you know what it means parents a preacher and his wife who teaches their children to love the Lord and to live for him how do I know that it doesn't mean a, 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 a pastor who has a child that is not a hundred percent uh obedient all the time is no longer qualified Clark's got a two-year-old he's not even two he learned early okay I mean a two-year-old, and sometimes, I'll be honest, Clark loses a little bit of dignity on that, okay? He wrestles a two-year-old, and he's got one right behind him. He's going to be just like him, and yours are just like that. doesn't mean his kids are perfect. It means he, he is intentionally trying to raise and steer and guide his family to know and to love and to live for the Lord. Then he says in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. In other words, he needs to be seasoned, a more mature disciple of Jesus. Or he may become arrogant and fall into the punishment that the devil will exact. It means so the devil will, will begin to slander and accuse him because he's, he's not mature and he has weaknesses. Then he finishes up and he says, And he must be well thought of by those outside the faith so that he may not fall into disgrace and be caught by the devil's trap. So we're supposed to be, as a pastor, a sanctified example of being a Christian a disciple of Jesus okay we're almost finished the next one is we should be a steward of the word Tim Clark myself as pastors we should be a steward of the word Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says he must hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught so that he will be able to give exhortation in such healthy teaching and correct those who speak against it he got to know the word and be ready to defend it. And I'm going to brag on Clark a little bit right here. He's better at defending parts than I am, and I'm better at defending parts than he is. Um, if you want to know, if you, if you want to understand more about the election and predestination and Calvinism and all that, you can talk to me, you, you won't get a lot of clear, clarity. I mean, I know it, but he, he's really good at that. And, and if you want to understand things about counseling and loving people in, in difficult situations and challenging them with difficult truth from Scripture, you're better to go talk to Pastor Tim. If you want to know about general principles, theology, doctrine in the Bible, I'm your guy for that. Okay? Now, as pastor, we, we ought to teach the Word. There's, there's, there are churches where the Word is seldom opened. You know, they chatter a lot, but there's not a lot of Scripture and so the church needs to be saturated the pastor needs to be a steward of the word first timothy five seventeen says let the elders who rule well or govern or oversee uh, be considered worthy of double honor especially the especially those who labor in preaching and teaching i'm glad it says that i love to preach i just do i love to teach i love to share truth i love to be with you all and encourage you all and so, I'm supposed to. So, so basically, there you go. If you wanna be a pastor, that's all you gotta do. That's all you have to do, okay? And, and, and when we do it God's way, God breathes on it. And he does things that we would never do on our own. And it looks like our church. It looks like how every month people are being born again and getting baptized. And coming and joining our family, our church family. Because God honors the church when the church honors his word. And they do things the way they're supposed to. So we have three pastors. I've told you who they are. Now, here we are and we're finished. So what is the practical side of this kind of organizational structure? And we're done. Are you ready? Operationally... The senior pastor, which is me, is an, an ordained partner and leader of this church family, this body. I am part of a group, which is Pastor Tim, Pastor Clark, myself, and we serve together. I was, I was voted on in 2014. and <clears throat> They haven't voted me out yet. And so I'm still here. So this is what it looks like. During the course of a usual or a daily church business cycle, the senior pastor myself is responsible for all of the decisions that the other leaders make. It means I don't make those decisions, but I'm responsible to oversee those decisions and to inject my opinion if I don't think they line up with the direction of our church. The senior pastor, myself, is responsible for the vision, the goals, the general direction of the church at Sturkey Hills. And many of the day-to-day operational decisions are made collectively by myself and Tim and Clark and our deacons and our team leaders over personnel finance and missions and our ministry leaders throughout the church. And so we all make decisions but none of us make all of the decisions. And so that's, that's the office of pastor. And now you begin to see how our church is set up the structure and organization. Now, the benefit to the pastor, God doesn't leave the pastor, you know, unblessed in the long run. And I'm blessed anyway. 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, so as your fellow elder and witness of christ's sufferings and as one who shares in the glory that will be revealed i urge the elders among you clark tim he's urging you give a shepherd's care to god's flock among you exercising oversight not merely as a duty but willingly under god's direction not for shameful profit but eagerly and do not lord it over these entrusted to you but be examples to the flock here it is then Clark, then Tim, then Pastor Joel, when the chief shepherd Jesus appears, you will receive a crown of glory that never fades away. <laughs> you didn't get that. I got that. Okay? That's I love that. I love knowing there's eternal rewards to obeying Jesus, and I want you to know I'm not th- not the only one that will get a crown. You as priest, when you live for the Lord, you get crowns and rewards in heaven too. And so when we all know our place and we serve being led by the Holy Spirit, loving like Jesus, submitted to the Lord's church, I'm telling you, God will do something supernatural in your life and in the life of the church. So how do we close today's message? Here it is. I want you to know every person in here, this is the Lord's church and Jesus is the head. And I want you to know this, this is a good church. It's not good because of me. It's not good because of you. It's good because of him. And as long as we let him be head, it'll continue to be good. And if you're looking for a church and the Holy Spirit impresses upon your heart that this would be your church home, you listen to that call and you will not be disappointed because God is not finished doing his work at this church. Amen. And maybe you're here today and you get, a, you get it like a panoramic view of the church and you think that sounds amazing, but I'm not so sure I'm part of that church family. I'm not so sure that I'm in the flock. Maybe I'm a, in this moment. I, I feel like I'm a spectator. Like I'm, I'm just observing it from the outside. That's awesome. Because I didn't tell you that, the Holy Spirit did. He revealed that to you. That's what an invitation into God's family feels like. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. But what you see and what you hear, you know is what you need. So on this day, how do you become part of this beautiful thing called the church of Jesus Christ? You simply own who you are. And surrender it to Jesus you just say Jesus I know I'm a sinner I've been doing this thing for a long time and my life is a wreck I cannot fix me God but I feel like you are inviting me into the family to save me to give me a new spiritual birth to adopt me forever in your family I would be a fool not to run to that so on this day God I repent of my sinful state I receive your grace gift in Jesus save me today fill me with your spirit and help me live for the rest of this life for you so I could spend eternity with you in Jesus name that's it we pray a prayer humbly to God he hears he answers he rescues and then he deploys us into his kingdom work out there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for this truth. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the church of which I am a forever part. But I thank you for this local assembly, this particular church body, the church at Sturkey Hills. You could assign me anywhere on the planet, but God, you picked this. And God, I'm thankful for those in this family who are part of my spiritual family who encourage me and who help and serve alongside me and who love with me and love me. And God, we just thank you for this beautiful thing called the church. And I thank you for those who are part of it. I thank you for those who may be here who are not part of it because they've never received your gift. And I pray on this day, God, That you would invite them you would bind the enemy from their life and you would help them receive the greatest gift that they will have ever been given we give you praise we give you glory for it in jesus name amen we hope that god spoke to you through this message if you enjoyed the message be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast And visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.